So far in our study of the book of Philippians, Paul has been addressing the concerns that the Philippians may have regarding his imprisonment. The first concern that they were likely to have is that the cause of Christ, the spread of the gospel, would be hindered as a result of Paul's imprisonment. But he says quite to the contrary that the imprisonment of the Apostle Paul has not led to a deterrent of the gospel of Christ, but rather as a means of advancing the gospel of Christ. The second concern was for the Apostle Paul himself. What effect would Paul's imprisonment have upon Paul? Paul says that in the time of his imprisonment, he's rejoicing. For he says that to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul believes that were he to die, he would be in God's presence and that would be far better. But he expects that he's going to be delivered because it's needful for the Philippians that he continues with them and is able to encourage them and strengthen them in their faith. Tonight, we look at what Paul's concern is for the Philippians. What is his concern as he is in prison? The answer is that they would walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The key verse in our study this evening is Philippians 1.27, which Paul writes, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving by, side by side for the faith of the gospel. So Paul says that he's concerned that they'd walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. A manner worthy of the gospel is living the life that the gospel deserves, a life that is consistent with the gospel, that authenticates, validates, confirms the gospel and all that we believe, a life that reveals the truth of the gospel, a life that makes the gospel appealing. So tonight, the theme is our primary concern should be to live our lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.27, Paul writes, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That word only teaches us that for Paul, what he is about to say, the great takeaway, the one thing that he wants them to understand above everything else, if they get nothing else from all that he is saying, it's this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of of Christ. That is Paul's highest priority for the Philippians. So we must ask ourselves, what is our highest priority in life? What do we deem as most important for us as Christians? Do we see that the most important, the highest priority ought to be to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? And secondly, do we communicate that to our children, to our loved ones, people that we have and influence over? Do they understand that for us, the most important thing that they could do is to live their lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? So tonight we want to ask the practical question, how does that done? What does that look like? What does it mean to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, first, we understand that we live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel by remaining faithful to the gospel, whether our spiritual leader is present or not. Philippians 1.27 Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, 
so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you standing firm in one spirit. Paul is expecting to be released from prison and to come to the Philippians again. Philippians 1, 25 and 26, Paul says, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So Paul is intending to come to them shortly. Verse 24 of chapter 2, And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. However, until that time, while Paul is separated from them, he wants to be assured that they are going to be living their lives in a manner that is worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in way of application, we can readily understand that there is a particular danger that all of us encounter when our spiritual leader, our mentor, our great advocate in the faith is no longer with us, when they are absent for whatever reason, whether that be through death, whether that be through circumstance, whether that be through distance, whatever the case may be. For example, perhaps when a young person goes off to college, they're away from parents, they're away from church, they're away from people that are their spiritual leaders and mentors in the faith. There's a tendency to wander at such times. Or when someone goes into the military, far away from family and friends and church, easy to begin to walk away from our commitment to the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, perhaps when a family moves out of the area or when a family patriarch dies, uh, someone that has been very influential in our lives, the lives of our children, lives of our grandchildren. That person is no longer on the scene. Sometimes uh, Christians flounder. Sometimes uh, families flounder and are not as committed to the gospel as what they once were. So Paul is concerned that whatever the circumstances, whether he be present or absent, that they will continue to live their life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, we live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel by being steadfast in our commitment to the gospel. Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or, or absent, I may hear of you, now these words, that you are standing firm in one spirit. To stand firm is to be steadfast. It's actually a military term. The imagery is of holding one's ground in the face of battle. As you see the army advancing, as you are up on a hill, and you need to hold that hill at all cost. That is the admonition of Philippians 1.27, to stand firm. Don't retreat and certainly don't desert the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remain steadfast, remain strong, remain faithful as one people of God maintaining our strategic position in this world of, of adhering to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ.
Thirdly, we live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel by working together for the cause of Christ. Again, Philippians 1.27. Now we're looking at these words that read at the end of the verse, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Striving side by side. Again, we have a military uh, imagery like soldiers who are moving forward and don't break ranks. In the last point, we were to be steadfast. We were not to lose our ground. We were not to give up our strategic position of holding fast to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But now we have an advancement, if you will. Uh, we have a new and greater thought, and that is not only are we to be careful not to lose our ground, but we're actually to take on new ground. We are actually to advance the battle. We are to be bringing about a victory in relationship to spreading the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we should be working together as a people of God, always seeking to advance the gospel of Christ, that people will come to faith. In Philippians chapter 4, we have a tragic example in Yodia and Syntyche. Philippians 4.2 reads, I entreat Yodia and I treat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So here are two women who have been working side by side for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had been advancing the gospel, but for whatever reason, something occurred in their relationship that caused them difficulty in getting along. So Paul exhorts others to help them to be reconciled so that together, once again, they might be working for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ side by side. Application. We are not to let petty and incidental differences cause us to break ranks and ceasing to work together for the cause of Christ. We are to be sure, we are to be careful that the cause of Christ is more important than other elements of our lives, that we don't let silly, incidental, unimportant matters flare up and create strife or division or difficulty in our relationship with each other that causes us to fail to continue to work together, to hold the ground and actually advance the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fourthly, we're to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel by fearlessly identifying with Christ and the gospel even in the time of opposition. Philippians 1.28, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. The exhortation is that we should not be afraid of anything when it comes to identifying with Christ. For Paul, that meant that he was not afraid of being in prison or even dying. He said, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. For us, the stakes are probably not that high. 
Uh, we probably aren't going to have to face imprisonment for the cause of Christ. We probably aren't going to have to experience death for the cause of Christ. And yet, our fears are real. And yet, there are obstacles and opponents to overcome. For not only can we fear life and death and imprisonment, but sometimes we fear mockery, ridicule. Nobody likes to be made fun of. No one wants to be the obstacle of disgrace. And so we fear not being accepted, not being liked. Perhaps we may a fear of not getting ahead, thinking that if we identify with Christ, it's going to keep us back in the way in which people view us. Uh, maybe we won't get elected to a certain position. Uh, maybe we won't be welcomed in certain quarters. Maybe it might even hurt our business somehow if we make it known publicly that we are adherents of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or simply we may fear not having friends. We may fear being ostracized, that no one will like us. And so the tendency is to try to be quiet, not to talk about faith, not to identify with others who are Christians in such settings where that might not be advantageous. So we are not to fear and thus walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. But further, now our text develops the idea that our fearlessness in time of opposition is a clear indicator of the defeat of those who oppose us and the gospel. Philippians 1.28 says, And not frightened by anything by your opponents. Why? Well, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction. A clear sign to them of their destruction. So you might ask the question, well, in what way is fearlessness a sign of their destruction? Well, answer, to be fearless is a real victory of those who are seeking to instill fear in us. Uh, the scripture says that we're not to fear those that can take our life, but rather to fear the one who is able to uh, assign to, to heaven and to hell. So we are faithful, believing that in Jesus Christ, we have acceptance and we're going to be in his presence. Those who are trying to quiet us, those who are our opponents, who are seeking to instill fear within us, when we fail to be afraid, it demonstrates to them the power of the gospel. For they are applying pressure, uh, whether that be in terms of actual persecution, whether that be in terms of ridicule. The point is they're conducting themselves in such a way that they would expect others to be timid, to be silenced. For if those things were happening to them, they would be timid they would be silenced. And so when the things that would silence them fail to silence us, it's a demonstration of their defeat. They have not achieved their end. And not only have they not achieved their end, but they see themselves as powerless against the gospel of Christ. And further, they see themselves fearful of things that we are not fearful of. And so they marvel at our ability to remain faithful when they know themselves they would not be faithful in the same set of circumstances. 
Next, our fearlessness in the time of opposition is a clear indicator that we are truly saved. For it says in verse 28, And not heightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. Of your salvation. What it gives us the ability to stand firm for the cause of the gospel is the fact that we are saved. We are saved. For it says, but that of your salvation and that from God. Our fearlessness in the time of opposition is a clear indicator that God is at work in us. Earlier in Philippians, Paul had said that he was convinced that he, that is God, who had begun a good work in us, would perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul is convinced that the one who saved us is going to give us the ability and power to stand firm for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not a matter of just pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's not just simply a resolve on our part, but it's a matter of faith and putting confidence not in ourselves, but in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is going to give us the ability to do what we cannot do of ourselves. So we find that our fearlessness in the time of opposition is actually a gift of God. In verse 29 it says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Salvation is a gift of God. I think most of us acknowledge that. I think most of us recognize that that uh, ability to believe, that faith that is generated, comes from God. God has blessed us and granted us the ability to believe. And we have trusted in the gospel. We understand that salvation is a gift. Now we find that suffering for Christ is also a gift. That for the sake of Christ, it has been granted to you not only to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. As we think about that idea that it is a gift, there are a couple of nuances to that thought. The first is that, again, it will be granted, it will be empowered to us to remain faithful to God. Secondly, it also teaches us that it should be welcomed and not avoided at all costs. Godly suffering is to be accepted. It is to be beneficial to us and to others. Paul said in Philippians 3, 8, and 9, he said, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So it is to our benefit and to others when we suffer for the cause of Christ. That is truly a unique Christian perspective. Next, our fearlessness in the time of opposition is borne witness to by many who have gone before us. In Philippians 1.30, Paul writes, Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here I still have. Paul exemplified 
living a life that is worthy of the gospel. He exemplified that in their presence. Verse 30, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had. They were able to witness the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. How in uh, Paul, how he was faithful in all things. Now they have heard of Paul's continued faithfulness even during their absence. In verse 30, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. I still have. So Paul is continuing to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is that great example. He started off by saying that they would continue to walk worthy whether they were in his presence or not. Paul concludes that he was continuing to walk worthy whether he was in their presence or not. So we need to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel when people are watching us and when people are not watching us. Whether it be in public or in private. Whether we be living in the same house or whether we are separated by thousands of miles from our families, our loved ones, people who know us, that we remain faithful, consistent, living in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the conclusion is that Paul was a great example of a person who walked in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. In Philippians 4, verse 8, Paul encourages the Philippians to follow his example. So I conclude with three simple questions. First, whose example can we follow? Who do we know that we can look up to? Who can we model our lives after? Who are we making our heroes? Who do we want to be like? That's an important question. Whose example can we follow? Secondly, Whose example do we want to follow? Whose example do we want to follow? Who have we established is our heroes, our heroines? Who are we modeling our lives after? And then thirdly, what kind of example are we setting? When people look at us, our children, our students in Sunday school, our relatives, our friends, when they witness our conduct and our behavior, are we serving as a good example, a good role model of a person who walks in a manner worthy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are we a bad influence? We should be concerned about the influence that we are having. For the point of the passage is to live a life that adorns that is consistent with, that promotes the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we probably have all heard that terrible statement that says, if they're a Christian, then I don't want to be one. The point is, we're to live a life of a person that says, if that's what a Christian is, that's what I want to be. May God help us.